Abba Yahweh, this time to share, to be in your word, in your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom. No apologies for anything that I share that comes from your word, Father God. I will not, I shall not ever apologize for sharing your truth. It is only your word, Father, that I share. I will not speak anything other than what you tell me to do. Father, to any that have an ear to hear the words and to listen to the message, and going to your word and seeking your face and seek that truth. Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parakritos Aman. So pretty good intro there. Um, yeah, I'm not going to apologize for anything I say because I always speak the truth. And um, you might have guessed that this is going to be akin to what I shared with you already about apologies. And you're correct in that presumption because I gave you a little bit of clue. It's going to be sort of a part two, but not a part two, but then a part two. Are you confused? So, apologize. Why? Truth is truth, period. When it comes from the word of God, and when God gives me truth and tells me and gives me things that I can speak or allows me to speak, that's because he condones and he says this is good and allows it because he knows it's truth. Just like I test you and tell you to test me. Try the spirit. Try my spirit. If the Holy Spirit tells you don't listen to this guy, he's... He's a whack job, he's a blasphemer, he's so forth and so on, and gives you all sorts of reasons not to listen to me. Are you sure that that's coming from the Holy Spirit, not from your own mindset, and you think that somebody, that the Spirit is telling you that, and not the devil? Because I'm going to tell you this right now. I know that the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you that. And how do I know that? Because I speak the truth because he allows me to do this and he brings me these things to share with you because it's truth. Nothing more and nothing less than his word and his truth. And in starting out with that, so you might want to cinch up your seatbelts and uh, hang tight, keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times to prevent injuries, please. Um, here's the thing. I will defy any of you that are listening. If you have an ear and you're hearing the words I'm saying, but listening to what I'm saying, I defy any of you to open the Bible and anywhere in here. Let's, we're going to go to, uh, you know, I can give you a list of names for a number of prophets. Go to the book of Isaiah. Go to the book of Jeremiah. Go to the book of Habakkuk. Go to Zephaniah. Go to any of those, go to any of the books in the Bible, anywhere at all. Do you see at any place in the writing that they have been given that that 
inspiration by the Holy Spirit, by the breath of God in them. Do you find anywhere in the Bible that any of those men or women that were writing these notations, do you find anywhere that they apologize for sharing the word of God, for sharing the truth? Do you see any of them apologizing? Do you find anywhere that Joshua apologized for sharing the truth? Do you find anywhere that Moses apologized to Pharaoh or the Egyptians? Do you find anywhere that Daniel apologized to the Babylonians for anything at all? Do you find anywhere that when they called out to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they didn't respond because they, they reply, oh, that's not our name. Those are Babylonian false gods' names, and we don't answer to those names. We answer to the names that we were given, and God calls us. Did they apologize for that? No. Did they apologize to Nebuchadnezzar? No. He took and threw them in a fiery furnace that they stoked up hotter than it should have been. And he was sitting on his little fancy tufted throne and he was going to watch him burn. So he thought. And when his big strong guard guys came to throw these young men into the furnace, the fire was so hot that it snatched onto the guards and struck them down dead, burned them up as they pushed Hananiah, Mishael, and Anzariah into the furnace. But then befuddled and surprised, Nebuchadnezzar threw out a rhetorical question. He said, hey, hey, y'all, didn't we put three men in that furnace? Of course, he already knew the answer. Of course, you put three in there. He said, then why is there a fourth like unto the Son of God, and he walks around freely. Daniel did not apologize before he got thrown into the lion's den. He didn't cry out and he didn't rescind anything he had spoken. And the king was sorrowful though. And he was apologetic because he knew that he'd been duped because the jealous counselors, they fooled him into signing this document that would put Daniel into the lion's den. But Daniel didn't apologize. He went in, he hung out overnight with the lions, lay down and slept with them. They were like big kitty cats. They didn't touch him, they didn't bother him. They laid down by him and went to sleep. And then the liars... And those that should have been apologizing, which did not. They said, oh, he must have fed the lions or somebody must have fed the lions before he went in there. And of course, the king was very upset at them because they, he knew he'd been fooled. And he just took them and threw them in the lion's den once he got Daniel out. And before they hit the floor, the lions were jumping at them and caught them down to the ground and ate them, devoured them. So pretty obvious they hadn't been fed. And we go over to 
Ezekiel 37. Here's a pretty powerful uh, prophecy, actually. I've shared it a number of times with you, and I, I actually like Ezekiel. And it's a powerful prophets, prophecy by Ezekiel to the nation of Israel. And we go to this prophecy. And remember, prophecy isn't necessarily to do with telling the future. You get so many folks out there that have this misconception and they think that a prophet or when you speak prophecy, it's about things that you see in the future. That's not what a prophecy is. A, a biblical prophet speaks the specific word that God gives to them to speak over someone. It could have something to do with a future event. It could have something to do with a specific lesson that they're learning. It could have to do with a specific scripture that they need to read. And it could be about tomorrow. It could be about today. And it could even be about something that they were looking back on and holding on to and not letting go. So a prophet is not necessarily one who sees the future and where many get confused as they think it's the same as if someone is reading a tarot card. That's not what a prophet of God does. Can, but that's not what he or she does. There are individuals that like to see that. And what does Christ Jesus tell us about tomorrow? Well, first of all, we don't belong in tomorrow and we don't belong in yesterday or last year or the past. We don't belong in those places. We are told specifically in scripture that we don't belong there. Why don't we belong in the past? Because those things are gone. And if we have repented of something, our Lord has forgiven us and thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness. So why do you want to look back and do that? The devil wants you to do that because he's going to convince you to take a swim and go out there and swim and pick up that suitcase that's on the bottom, pick it up, drag it up on shore, and then drag it and toss it up in your attic. That would be your mind. Put it up there in your attic. And that way his little minions will clacker, clacker up the stairs, the little scorpions, and you can hear their footfalls or the snakes slithering up there. And then they kick open the box and they make a noise and they kick all the dust up that interferes with your vision and, and clouds your, your thoughts and all this stuff. And, and you got these things that you're worried about that were done and gone. So there's places we don't belong. Don't belong in the past, we don't belong in the future. The only thing that Jesus tells us about the future, he doesn't give us any specific dates or anything. And this is what people, they, they want to go to these fortune tellers and get specific dates. They always want specific dates. There's nowhere in the Bible that you're going to find a specific date about when Jesus Christ is coming back. What does Jesus tell us instead? None know but the Father. The angels in heaven don't even ask God, when are we going? I got my go bag ready. I got my shield set up, my sword set up. I got my trumpet is over here, oiled up, polished up, we're ready to go. When God says go, that's when they go. None, no, they don't even ask God. Are we going yet? We going yet? We going yet? We going yet? No, they don't do that. 
And when Jesus talks about those things that are coming, he gives us no specific dates. He's just telling us that these things are going to take place. He doesn't give us any specific dates. If you look at Matthew 24, read Matthew 24. Read Matthew 24, the whole chapter, and just read it. Such as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the return of the Son of Man. How was it when Noah was building the ark? It was terrible. Why was Noah building the ark? Because it was really bad. God was getting ready to destroy the world. How bad was it? It had to be pretty bad for God to repent of creating us, the world, creating all things, and then he was going to destroy it with a great flood. And it took Noah 120 years to finish building that big boat that God told him to build. And what did the people do? They went and they sat around and made fun of him. Noah didn't apologize. He didn't say, I'm sorry, I've got you all stirred up here and I'm sorry that the ramp is closed and you can't come on the boat now. He said, but God said it's time ago and y'all didn't listen when I tried to tell you. And then the floods came, then the rains came down and floods came up for a specific purpose that God intended and they did indeed. Noah didn't apologize. I'm sure his heart was probably breaking for those that didn't repent, but he, for 120 years, he preached repentance. For 120 years, they made fun of him. They belittled him. They degraded God. They blasphemed God. And God said, okay, Noah, you're done. You got it all patched up. Time to go. Get, get the critters inside. Get your family inside. Here's my hand. Boom. You're sealed. And then the rains came down and the floods came up. And then they came screaming and pounding and crying out loud. Let us in, let us in. We're sorry, we're sorry. It's too late for you to be sorry. Oh, now you want to be apologetic and repentant. You were given 120 years to do so. Or more, some of you probably. But you decided to spend 120 years of that portion of your life rather than in repentance and worshiping God as, Mo, as Noah tried to get you to do, you wanted to just make fun of this silly old man who was building this great big boat with no rivers, no streams, no ponds, no lakes. And you didn't know anything about your groundwater that came up and got you from the feet. Did Noah apologize? No. Did Daniel ever apologize for... His visions? No. Ezekiel. Let's jump over here. I'm gonna I, I flipped over here to Ezekiel 37 because this is really powerful. And I'm also while I'm sharing this with you, I'm I'm looking for anywhere that Ezekiel apologized. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, 
there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you, and will bring upon bring will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with sin skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Now this is Ezekiel is prophesying to the bones. And I have yet seen any place where he's sorrowful. So I prophesied as I was commanded to do. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a quaking and the bones came together. Bone to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up on them. And the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. I'm checking my sidebar and looking anywhere in here. Nope, sure don't find one. I do not see an apology. Nowhere in the print, in the concordance. There isn't one. And yet I have heard elders in the church, and I've even heard a minister apologize for that very verse. An exceeding great army. Oh, I'm sorry, that's very that's very militaristic. And then they just skip, they don't even finish, and they go to another part of the Bible. Oh, well, excuse me. Again, I share this with you. It's got nothing to do with military. That term is just about a huge number. The whole valley was filled with dry bones. An exceeding great army that stood up on their feet. It's got nothing to do with the military operation. It didn't say they all stood with their brass breastplates and their bucklers and swords gathered and their helmets tight around their heads, ready to go to war. It didn't say that anywhere in that. What it does say instead is, then he said unto me, said a man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The entire nation. All of them. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Ezekiel was prophesying to the nation of Israel. Why? Because they had given up on God. They gave up on their hope, which is, as we know, Christ Jesus but Ezekiel was prophesying over the dry bones in that valley because they gave up. As we have done in this day and age, 
We turn our backs on the Lord God Almighty. We give up on things that he tells us to do and we just don't do it anymore. So again, apologize. Why? Truth is truth. If you don't want to hear me share the truth and speak the truth and not hear the words of truth and listen to the truth, then by all means, don't listen anymore because you know what my answer is going to be. If you've listened to me for any length of time at all, you know what I'm going to say, and here it comes. I don't care. Do you understand? I'm not saying that in a controversial way or to be in your face, but I just don't care. Why? Because your validation doesn't mean enough to me. It just doesn't. And I'm not going to apologize for that either because the, val the only validation that matters to me is that God says, well done. The Holy Spirit says, okay, let's go do this and guides me through the chapters of the Bible and gives me the words to speak that's the only validation that matters. Whether you like or don't like what I have to say doesn't matter to me. My feelings aren't hurt. I don't care. What I do care about is that I share the truth and give you an opportunity to be, to repent, to be reborn, to be saved, to be sanctified, made holy. That's what the word sanctified means, to be made holy and to be adopted and be an heir and a joint heir with Christ Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because I have a diplomatic visa. That's what I function with here on this plane of existence, a diplomatic visa. Because God says, tell everyone that will hear the words and listen to the message that I give you to share that they have an opportunity. I want them to be able to come to heaven and be in heaven and be with their loved ones and spend time with me. I want that to happen because I love, I love all my children. I love my creation. And that's what I do and that's why I do it because God tells me that I need to do that and he gave me that, wow. Diplomatic immunity, you, you, you ought to see that diplomatic visa. Pretty, pretty impressive. You think that these college degrees and all these things that these theological wizards and all these folks have, you think that's got filigree? <laughs> anyway, enough of my being a smart guy. So nowhere, and then did you hear me? And I, I mean, I read the scripture straight through and nowhere did I see the word, I'm sorry uh, for saying this. And uh, even when you said exceed great army, there's nothing, wait, 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 wait. I'm looking for something in the cyber. No, it doesn't say anything about sorry about military, sorry about army, sorry about warfare. It doesn't say anything about that. It just talks about the whole nation of Israel just gave up and they turned their back. Kind of like they did with Moses out in the desert when he was up on the side of the mountain for 40 days and nights with God. They saw the thunderings, they heard the rumbling. And they saw the flashing of the fire up there and they knew that God was present and Moses was taken up there. But then they made up excuses. Well, what if he's dead? What if this? What if that? What if that? Aaron, you got to make us a golden calf to worship because we can't see this God. We want to see a God we can, we can see, we can touch. 
That's what we want. So, hey, make us one like we had in Egypt, the one that we worshipped over there. Yeah, that golden calf. That's the one. That's the ticket. Come on. So he collected all their jewelry, all their gold and all that finery, and he melted it down, and he made them a golden calf. So when Moses did come down off the mountain, oh, he was, you think he was upset? Oh, yeah. And his own brother cast that that calf. And he destroyed the Ten Commandments. And he was very angry with the children. And that wasn't the only time. Then, of course, when they sent the spies into the land of Canaan, and did Moses say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to break those. I was just so angry, I'm sorry. No, he didn't. And then when they were wandering and they were belittling God, demeaning God, and didn't think God was big enough to be able to handle the things that he promised to them, and he sent them wandering for 40 days, forty years in the wilderness. Did any of his prophets apologize to them? No. But what God did do is they didn't have to repair their sandals. They didn't have to mend their clothing. They didn't have to repair their tents. And God fed them, provided food, and provided water. But he never said he was sorry. Didn't have to. He told them to go in and do, and they didn't. Instead, they found reason for them not to believe that God was sovereign. So the word of truth, where's that come from? Well, we're going to go over here to John 3, 19 and 21, actually. Sorry, I... Missed my mark. I do that. I get old. I forget stuff. Okay, so John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved lest people can see what he is doing or she is doing that's what that means but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. That, brothers and sisters, is the reason that I do what I do and why I don't care 
whether you want to listen to me or whether you get upset and you say, oh, I'm just so offended, I'm not going to listen anymore. That scripture that I just shared right there specifically is why I do what I do. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. God tells me what to say. Through the Holy Spirit guides my words. And yeah, I get a little carried away, but you know what? God allows that because he knows my heart. He knows my heart, and my heart is his. It's not yours, so, yeah, okay, do I sound a little, um, might sound a little confrontational? Yeah, well, that's because I only care to do what I'm doing. Not caring about whether or not I make you all happy, happy, joy, joy. I want you to be happy, happy, joy, joy because I share with you the truth and give you the opportunity to be adopted into the family and the kingdom of heaven, that you are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God. And as the scripture tells us that we are that very thing. When you accept that Christ came in the flesh and died for you and you believe that to be so and you take and have faith in the Lord God Almighty, sovereign Lord God, and that you have the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. You are an heir and a joint heir in the kingdom of heaven with Christ Jesus. And the only thing God asks you to do is you do what I'm doing. Share the word of God. Share his truth. And you remember that we are told, explain, John, I like John. I like John, I like James. James, James can be, whew, James can be, uh, James can be, he's a firm speaker. He doesn't play around. James does not, James does not, um, he doesn't play around. And, and the reason is this, is that, is that there, and I don't know who this is, I gotta, I gotta do some more research and study on this, but there's speculation that this James, this isn't, wasn't one of his disciples, um, specifically that this one is written by Jesus's brother. Now, you remember I shared this with you, that when Jesus went to Nazareth, they claimed to know his family, his brothers and his sisters and all that. And there's a lot of people that say, oh, Jesus was the only uh, was the only begotten son of the Lord God Almighty. That means he was the only one. Well, no, that's not what that means. He's the only begotten son of God through the Holy Spirit. But his earthly parents, he had brothers and sisters. And these people in Nazareth, they claimed to know them. So because they knew his family, he couldn't possibly be the son of God. And that's what they were getting at. But anyway, we're going to go to John. And we're going to go through to John 1. 4 through 14. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer. A different John. There were several that were associated with Christ Jesus. And this John is writing about John the baptizer. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. We turned our backs on Christ, on the Lord that came, turned our backs on him. But he saw me from that great distance away. And he saw me and said, I got to go die for him. And he came and he did that. But we turned our backs on him because we were so busy and caught up in our own doings. And even when he went to Nazareth, where he was raised, nobody wanted to hear anything he had to say because they all knew his family. Well, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the world was made flesh, and the word was made flesh, and dwell among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's that word truth again. And once again, I'm not going to apologize for anything I say. Because I firmly believe and the Holy Spirit allows because it's done in righteousness. It isn't done to vaunt myself. That's why my name isn't on this gizmo anymore. The only, the only reason you see my name is when I post it. That's just one of their deals. They put your name up to whoever posts. But my name is not on here because this podcast doesn't belong to me. I used to put it on there because I thought, wow, that's going to be really cool. My name, Haven. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a ramen thing. That'll be a good thing. And you know what? The reality came and kind of gave me a little bap in the back of the head and said, snap out of it. So I did. And I share only the truth. His truth. So we find in John and that I share because Michel, a young brother who expressed his desire for 
learning more about the mystery that is God, Christ Jesus, the Son, Paracletos, Holy Spirit. So I offer these things. I also took note in here because this is important for him. He wants to know about that. And this is one scripture, just one, of many that talk about the mystery of God. You can go to Genesis 1. There's John 1, Genesis 1. Talks about the mystery. Because we're told here that Christ Jesus was with God from the beginning, was the word in God, with God, from God. And then up here in Genesis 1-1, we flip to the beginning, and it talks about, and then it also makes mentions in 1-1, that the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit was also in the beginning. And yet there are theological wizards that will tell you that the Holy Spirit didn't come until Jesus was getting ready to leave and the Holy Spirit wasn't able to be on the earth because Jesus was still here and wouldn't come until he left. Well, that's not entirely true because there's several instances where we're told that the Spirit came and we find that when Moses went to the tabernacle and he took the 70 elders because he was just so tired, he was just plain pooped out. 600,000 people and they were just whining and wanking and crying with him all the time and griping. He got tore out, tore up and tired. And he cried up to God, says, God, I need some help. So God said, okay, you bring these seven, you get these 70 elders and you bring them. And the scripture says, the spirit of the Lord descended on them and rested. It didn't say that it came in or it just said it came and rested. So what that is saying scripturally is that the spirit was given to them temporarily and then they went out and they prophesied to all the tribes. So they were out teaching and prophesying and praying and, and doing all the stuff that Moses was doing. Not only was Moses leading the 600,000, but he was also going around from tribe to tribe to tribe to tribe and teaching and, and giving a scriptural lesson. So these 70 elders were there to give him help and rest. God honored his prophet. We have to remember always that we must be one way and one way only. And we find, if we go to James, this is that potent writer. And we go to James 4. Very specific, James 4, 7, and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does that mean? Well, 
I'm about to tell you. Um, that is uh, basically the wishy-washy. Don't be a wishy-washy. If you're going to be a Christian, you are either in or you're out, period. You don't see fishermen going out with one leg hanging over the gunwale and one, one foot in the water and one foot in the boat. You're either going to be in doing the fishing or you're going to be out swimming, one way or the other. And yet there are many that are this way. And you've heard me put it another way. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They claim to be a Christian, and yet they don't follow Christ. They don't act like they're following him. They don't act like they're from him. They don't act as if they've even heard anything he had to say. That's what double-minded means. You're wishy-washy. You you very you can't make a decision. You say one thing and then you turn and you go the other direction. And when people see this, and sometimes I've seen them, you see them on Sunday and they're doing all this really great stuff. And then you see them afterward and they're not doing something they should ought to be doing. This is what the scripture also reminds us to be circumspect. Remember, I've shared that word with you. That means upright, looking around, being aware of what you're doing in the area that you're presenting in and make sure that you're doing that thing that you should be doing. And that means walking in righteousness, sharing the truth, being the truth, observing the truth. And if you're going to be calling yourself a Christian, then you walk the walk, don't just talk the talk period. And you have to understand that everything that Christ Jesus shared with us is definitive. Every single thing that Christ Jesus had to say, he said it with purpose, just as God did and does. And Jesus Christ did and does. Because, see, I believe he's still alive. I believe that he came as the only begotten Son of God. I believe that he died and rose again. I do indeed. So, I'm sharing this with you because that definitive word of God, it's all factual. It's all facts. There are no apologies coming with anything said or done. Everything is for a definitive purpose. This is God did. Christ Jesus did. Because he was with God from the beginning. In God, in with God, of God, from God. And so he talks like God. Of course he does. Because he's part of it. And the parabolic speech that he uses in the New Testament, where do you think he got that from? Read the Old Testament. You're going to see that God does the very same thing. And that the part that came here and, and was manifest in flesh to be and a sacrifice for us so that we could be in the kingdom of heaven and have the opportunity to be saved. He speaks the same way. And whenever I read through these scriptures, I don't find anywhere, there's nothing in the sidebar, nothing here where any of these theological wizards have found anything and they mark anything down where Jesus said he was sorry. 
Jesus never apologized to the Sanhedrin for anything he said. When he called them liars, he didn't apologize. He just said, well, of course you don't know the truth. You don't know the truth because you don't speak the truth. You wouldn't know the truth if, and of course he didn't say it, but my paraphrasing in my imagination is that you wouldn't know the truth if it came up and bit you. Of course, I would. there were days when I would have said it much differently. But they don't know the truth because they don't recognize, and they don't recognize it. Why? Because they speak the language of their father, who is the devil. Oh, that got them so irritated. But nowhere in that portion of the scripture, nowhere in there did I find any place where Jesus came back and said, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Nowhere. He just told them the truth, period. So why, when you speak truth, is there a necessity for an apology? There isn't. Because truth is truth. Some people don't like to hear it, but oh well. As far as I'm concerned, truth is always better than a lie. Because when you lie, you have to tell another lie to cover that lie, to cover that lie, to cover that lie, to cover that lie. And then you find out that, oh, goodness gracious, I actually told somebody something different. I told this person totally different. Oh, whoops. And then you got to rethink, refit, and restate. How foolish is that? Very foolish. So, truth and only truth. And definitive word and definitive point. And John, in uh, John 4, actually, we find that Jesus always moved with definitive purpose, always purpose. Nothing Jesus ever did was a mistake. So do you think that he happened to be going through Samaria and he happened to be going to Jacob's well, which happened to be dug on a piece of land that was given to Joseph and that it just happened to provide fresh water for the village? of, I think the name of the village is Sire or Sire. And Jesus even went and taught there, preaching their synagogue, because they couldn't go to Jerusalem. Why? Because they were all called half-breeds. And the religious elders who were supposed to be taking care of the people wouldn't allow them into Jerusalem, wouldn't allow them come to come to the temple wouldn't allow them to worship God because they were happy. They didn't rate, except that Jesus made a definitive trip to Samaria. It wasn't happenstance that he went to the well. It wasn't happenstance that he went into. Now, there's some theologians or theological wizards, as I will call them. They say that Jesus had to go that, well, Jesus didn't have to go that way. I've shared with you, and this is truth. You can you can check this out. But when they traveled, they didn't have to go through Jerusalem. It would be, or through Samaria, it was easier for them and was less distant, but there was such antagonistic animosity between some Samarians and some Jews that 
They purposely went around. They took the extra time and they went around. They wouldn't go through Samaria. They'd go around. They'd take the long way. Didn't have to, but they did. That's how vehement their animosity was toward one another. But here, Jesus, let's go into, uh, where are we going over here? John 4? Oh, yes, John 4. And actually, I'm just going to read four and then go down several verses and share with you specifically. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So his disciples were doing the baptizing and Jesus didn't actually go in the water and, and dunk them. His disciples did. And Jesus left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So he was heading that way. Now, here's the important part. Here's the definitive purpose of our Lord Christ Jesus, purposeful, deliberate, just like his father, just like our father does. Verse four, and he must needs go through Samaria. Well, there's some theologians that said, oh, well, gee, going the way he went, that's the only way he could go. That's not what that means. Not at all. He had a specific purpose to go into Samaria. What was his purpose? He went into Samaria to meet a woman at a well and speak to her of life. And to offer living water. Christ Jesus had a specific purpose. He it, he went that way for purpose and intention. Didn't just happen that way and, oh, oh, look, there's a well that's going to be, oh, man, that's really close to the route that I got to go. Guys, we're going to go this way. He must needs go into Samaria. He had an appointment to meet that woman. He had an appointment to go at that well, Jacob's well, that was put on the property, the land, however you want to say it, that he gave to Joseph, his son. Jacob dug the well. How derisive were they and how relevant is this to the way it is in our day and age now? Very much so. They were related, and yet the Jews called them half-breeds and wouldn't allow them into Jerusalem. When they came back from their Babylonian exile and their captive captivity, they came back. They wouldn't allow Sumerians to come and help rebuild the city walls. They wouldn't allow them to help rebuild the temple, and they wouldn't allow them to come and worship God for salvation from their captivity weren't allowed because they were half-breeds. And yet they left the scribes behind for 70 years and they intermarried. But as our Heavenly Father, so too is Christ our Lord, definitive and purpose. Everything is intentional. Nothing 
ever that Christ Jesus or Lord God, our sovereign Lord, is done happenstance at all. At all. And I'm going to share with you from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 10 and 11, specifically. And there's more. I think you ought to read the entire chapter. Verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And nowhere in the sidebar, anywhere in the rest of the scripture do I see where Isaiah has to apologize for God speaking the way he did. No apology. Specific word of God. And then we're going to find a similitude that Jesus shares with us. If we go to Matthew 13. And we can go through 3 to 11. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because they had no depth, deepness of earth, depth of the earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered, and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. That's pretty specific, and that's pretty deliberate. Jesus was giving them specific word and knowledge and teaching them and was given to them specifically. And the others were not. They were just coming to listen and hear what Jesus had to say. But the disciples were able to decipher what he was saying and they questioned why he taught that way. Well, I shared with you before where my teachers used to teach somewhat ambiguously. They weren't quite sure which direction they were going, so you would ask questions. 
but overhearing them or sometimes they would specifically respond. When I asked them a question specifically, they said that's because that's this is exactly what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to ask questions. I wanted you to look for the answer. I wanted you to seek after the answer. They didn't say it like that, but I'm telling you that. Why do you think that that's done? To get you to ask questions that come and get you to inquire unto the Lord. You don't put them on the spot. You don't question what he's doing. You ask questions. You learn. When you inquire after something, you have that thought that you want to hear, you want to learn, you want to be taught. That's why the Holy Spirit is given. And the Lord gave me this, closing up here. Not quite sure why I did this. Judge not, judge that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that lain in thy brother's eye, but considered not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, <coughs> pardon me, let not me pull out the mote and out of thine eye, and behold not the beam, that is in thine own. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Pretty specific. Talking about truth. The way of truth. Only truth. And that is all. We're so concerned about what everyone else is doing that we ignore everything that's going on in and around us. Because we're so caught up in what everybody else is doing. Oh, did you see what so-and-so did you see? Oh, look at that house. Look at that car. Remember, very important, God is a respecter of no man or woman. He doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care what you have or you don't have. He doesn't care how much you have or you don't have. He only cares about the character of your heart. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers, going out and coming in. Be blessed.